Well, good morning and welcome. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron Blum. I'm interning under Pastor Kevin this summer, so I have the privilege to be able to lead you in our scripture reading this morning. Um, so if you'd go ahead and open up to Acts 27, uh, we're going to start in verse 13. And we've got a really exciting, intense passage today. Um, and what's been fascinating to me is how this passage passage flows right out of where we've been going these past few weeks. So we'll look at that at the end. Um, but in 13, if I could get slide one, in verse 13, Paul is sailing with Luke and the Roman centurion and soldiers um, to Rome. And in verse 13, they're in Crete, and they're making their way to Rome, but they're going to have a little trouble before they get there. If we could have slide three. This is the ship they were sailing on. It's an Alexandrian grain ship made for bringing grain from Egypt to Rome, and centurions could get free passage on these ships, but they all had to sleep on the first deck. So with that in mind, um, we'll start looking at the passage here in verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Now these storms could get up to be a category one hurricane. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. They were pushed out to open sea. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cadua, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid we would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. And we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an att attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now pause for just a second. I feel like sometimes we can brush over the intensity of, I, I know I can. So just imagine yourself on this ship, in this situation. So, if we're in that ship, sailing across the Mediterranean, close your eyes if it helps. Your ship has been blown off course by a cyclonic Mediterranean storm, and you're propelled by it for days. 
You can't see the sun, you can't see the stars. There's absolutely no way of telling where you are. All that surrounds you are looming clouds and choppy waves, and we become ever more lost in a vortex of darkness and howling wind. And things get so bad, in fact, that the very reason for this voyage, the cargo, is tossed overboard. Then, after all of this, in the pitch black of night, suddenly, something is heard above the storm. It's the crash of waves against rocks, somewhere out in the dark, the sound that strikes fear into every sailor's heart. Now, not only do you know the rocks are there, but then you learn that you are rapidly approaching them. Therefore, anchors are dropped and they catch, holding you literally between a rock and a hard place. Now, not only have you, we, the passengers, given up hope, but then the sailors try to abandon you, causing the Romans to cut loose the only avenue of escape left, the lifeboat. And so here they, you, we, all sit. 276 fearful, trapped, desperate, angry, hopeless people lost in a violent and unforgiving darkness. And so in this situation, what would you think? What would you do? What would Paul do? Interesting. Verse 33, we'll come back to it. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. He served communion. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lighted the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. This is a last-ditch effort. They are cutting everything loose to make it to safety. But, verse 41, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Then the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping because it could mean their own life. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. The rest, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Now that is quite a ride, especially in a short piece of scripture, but... The thing that stuck out to me the most that I want to share with you today is how this flows out of what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. So think of this. In this remarkably dangerous situation where even Luke says, yeah, we're, we're done. We're giving up hope. We're not going to make it out of here. Paul remains completely unmoved. And it rem reminded me of, of Jesus and Mark where he asks in the midst of their storm, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? How is Paul able to stand firm? Because, if we could have slide two, because he has the anchors in his life of exactly what we have been talking about for the past few weeks. He is the anchor of a relationship with the resurrected Christ, the anchor of a ritual prayer life that continually brings him into communion with Christ, and the anchor of the fruit of the Spirit that blossoms out of this relationship which lead to a blameless life. And because Paul has these so deeply rooted in his life, 
when a time of danger and despair comes, he is able to be a vessel through which God saves them and proves that he is the master of any storm by providing necessary and winsome Christian leadership in a secular and powerless situation. He's a prisoner. He shouldn't be the one doing this. It should be the centurion. But the centurion completely fades from the picture. And it is Paul who encourages, who gives food, who serves communion, who makes sure everybody stays with the ship so that they can all survive because he has such a deep, connected rootedness in Christ. And with that all... Ask Pastor Kevin to come up. So, so, Karen, you and I studied together all week, and we've talked multiple times. You did a wonderful job of summarizing. You've listened now to the first sermon. You've talked to us. What's one single takeaway you'd like us all to take today from this, from this passage? One thing. I think, I think what stands out to me more and more is the contrast between Luke and Paul. Because Luke is, Luke is with Paul, and Luke has seen Paul's faith and the evidence of the faith as they travel, and he's still doubting. He's still afraid. Um, but Paul isn't at all. And so I think as we go through our own storms, as you'll press into, there's going to be times when we lose faith or have doubts and are afraid. Um, but at the same time, then we need to remember Paul's example and press into that as well. So can I ask you a, kind of a personal question? We weren't planning so when you, when you had the challenge with your hand, mm-hmm. that was a storm for you. How did you process through the storm of losing some of the abilities of your hand? Mm-hmm. I think there was, a, at first, of course, it's unknown and you're, some anger and, you know, why is this happening or, um, you know, what's the purpose of this? And maybe, there, maybe it's just happening. Maybe there isn't a purpose. Um, but I think in the end, um, you come back to the point where, you know, God is in control. God, nothing can stop God's plan. And so whatever happens, he's going to work working that somehow. So as you come through, so your hand, can you show him your hand? You, so he's, he has some real challenges with his hand, medical challenges. How have you been able to be a man of faith in light of having to relearn how to use your hand? That's your storm. How did mm-hmm. you work through it? Mm-hmm. Well, you learn how to do things differently. Um, and that helps because it, I mean, just makes your mind work. Um, and then, you, I mean, there's just you, just you just learn how to do new things and then you just trust mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, thank yeah. you. Well done. So, I think we should just go home. <laughs> Mike gave a sermon, Tamara gave a sermon, so I'm gonna just give some action steps. How about that? Can I have slides, go slide to three first and then we go to some action steps, please, Jim. So I'll remind you the previous weeks, and I'm gonna go to, I wanna get real specific with applying this storm passage to our lives. So over these past weeks, the word several weeks ago was resurrection. Cameron's alluded to it. The sense of the resurrected Christ is so rich and real to Paul that he's able to live amidst incredible challenges. And so my question has been repeated to all of us. Do you live with, do you have a relationship with a resurrected Jesus? Someone who is alive and active. Let me just tell you a story. Maybe we'll try it in just a second. In the last service, the first, the first service, most, many of the people are older than I, and I asked them to do this. We did something that was called Quaker worship. In a Quaker worship service, you do some, it depends on which tradition of the Quaker church, but there is a time when you have absolute silence. And so at the last service, I asked if we could have one minute of silence, absolute silence. And in the silence, I asked the people, if you're facing a storm and you believe the resurrected Christ speaks, would you open yourself to hear something from the Lord now? So this is 
person that's older than I, generally who aren't so expressive in, in worship. I think, how many say, Nick, seven people? Does that sound right? Six, seven people raised their hand and heard something from the Lord about their storm. So I'd like to try that right now. Can we, we're going to have literally 90 seconds of silence. And there might be some children crying. There might be a few noises. Don't worry about that. But I'd like you to do for 90 seconds is just say, Lord, what word or phrase do you have for me in my storm? Okay? So I have my watch. Let's open your heart to see the Lord will speak. The resurrected Jesus might speak to you, okay? On your marks, get set, silence, and listen. Lord, speak. Okay, 90 seconds. Could I ask a question? If you heard something from the Lord, a picture, a word, a phrase, would you raise your hand just so we can see? Would you raise your hand high? Look at all these hands. Okay, so now, those of you who got hands raised, can, can, you, can you yell out to me? What, what, what did you hear? What did you see? What did, the Lord, what did the Lord share to you in the storm? Trust me. Do not fear. Peace, anchor. Pursue me. Mike says he says the, he's, he's the one who's forgiving him. He senses forgiveness, the love of Jesus. Good. What else? Louder? You are enough. One more. Pardon me? Conduit. Okay, well, on this side, nobody here. Over here. Service. One more? Okay, now see, now the Lord is speaking. Now, the reason I want to make this clear to you is, in the story, what you have is this Paul who keeps hearing from the Lord. So, listen now. If you got a dead guy, you got nobody talking to you. You just got yourself. 
You, you just got to figure it out, right? Andy, 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 Andrews, comment. You are where you are today because of your own best thinking. But if Christ is risen and Christ is speaking, Christ is leading, we can hear, we can see, we can be envisioned. So what happens now? The next week, after, after resurrection, we talked about prayer. And the two words I used were in the prayer. Jesus said to him, take courage. And we took courage and we followed with faith. Why is that important? Because then on trial, he lived a blameless life. He was so connected to Jesus, and he was a man who learned to pray regularly. Remember we talked about the hours of prayer? A regular prayer life. He lived a life where the fruit of the Spirit was evident, and others saw him and said he lives a life that honors Jesus, which then allowed last week to testify before kings and governors. But I don't talk about all storms this week. And I want to focus on storms, very specific application. So I'd like you to have slide number seven. I want to just talk through what I see in this passage about application. So I want you to think about your storms, your own storm right now. Here are some things the text reveals for us. Here's the first one. Abide in the one who's the master of the storm. And I've said this to you before. Let me say it to you one more time. When the storm comes, either you're ready or you're not. Right? You, you have built up reservoirs of trust and faith you have built up a relationship with the risen Christ so that when the storm comes, when the hard moment comes, when the challenges arise, you're drawing from what you have in relationship already with Christ. This is, so we don't, we don't read the Bible and we don't do the prayers and all that stuff just, just, just to do religious activities. We want a relationship. So Lane and I are married 40 years now. We're at 40 years of marriage. We can sit together in a space and not say a word, and be deeply connected to each other. Don't say a thing. When Kirk died, the intimacy of grief, the, the oneness we experienced holding each other, bawling together, and our son died, was more intimate than any sexual expression we ever had. When you are in a deeply engaged relationship with the risen Jesus, Something begins to happen in us. And this is why, if you listen, if you keep growing in your faith, watch this one now. If you can sit in silence with the Lord, the silence becomes weighty. It becomes heavy. And in that heavy, quiet place, the Lord is speaking to us. He is revealing his heart. He is offering directions. He speaks, and so we need to keep choosing and learning to abide in Christ. John 15. And so I want to encourage us, when the storms come, you draw on what you have in reserve. So let's this, this take, take my job. When the phone call from the police station comes at 2 o'clock in the morning, or the ER calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, I have no time to prepare. I have to go into a situation I know nothing of, and I draw from whatever I have been in relationship with Jesus. The same is true of all of us. When these moments of tragedy, of storm, of life happen, you draw from what your relationship with Jesus is. And you draw life and hope and strength. So how did Paul handle this storm? He's been connected to this risen Jesus. But the follows next. He became a secret agent of hope. And Cameron alluded to it. He's the prisoner. He is a, such an important prisoner. He's going to go see the emperor of the world, Rome. He's going to Rome to see Nero. You have 275 other passengers. You have professional sailors. 
You have incredibly proficient centurion and soldiers. And all of them step back. And who steps to the front is the prisoner. And the man who is going to die on trial is the one who brings hope. So the storm is raging and all these equipped and efficient and capable people are losing it. And the prisoner says, I've been speaking with the Lord. And you know the storm that we have? It's going to be a big storm. And this boat's going to get wrecked. And we're going to lose everything on this ship. But you're all going to live. And he becomes this one who he brings hope. Now look at specifically ways he offered hope. He offered good words. Can I just remind you something my mother said after the sixth or seventh time I ate soap? She said, Kevin, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. He became one who offered hope. You notice he had supernatural insights. I want to look specifically at verses 22 through 26. You look at your scriptures with me real quick. 22. So he says, but now I urge you, keep up your courage. Generate, lift up, go for it, fight for it, call it up, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So we're going to lose everything physically, materially. Last night, why is he so confident? An angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Now the, angel, the phrase, the angel of the Lord, is a euphemism which also means Jesus. So back in chapter 18, it's the risen Christ who talks to him. And here it's, again, the risen Christ. So what did the risen Christ say? Yeah, it's going to be a storm. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but you're going to live. Last service, I asked people to just say what the Lord is telling I won't name the who's, but there were three people in this room who responded to me who are going through really, really massive challenges. Massive. And those three people shared supernatural words which were from the scriptures. Now listen to this. You've got to listen to this. The words that you have implanted deep in your heart are the words the Holy Spirit draws up, and those are the words the risen Christ speaks to you. He can speak other words, absolutely. The scriptures give us 23 ways the scripture speaks, but these words are so critical. So one particular person who's going through an incredibly difficult season, I do not have permission to tell you the story. Her word to us was, he will never leave nor forsake. Now, if you knew this woman's story and you heard those words, you would just go, how can she say that? But she is convinced. She is convinced that nothing will ever separate her from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, her Lord. Life can't, death can't. Angels can't, demons can't. She believes that no matter what happens, she will not be separated from Christ. Now, when your storm comes, can you say that? Will you say that? Do you want to say that? So these supernatural words were given, and Paul shared hope. You notice the hospitality. This is so interesting to me. Cameron alluded to it. He took the bread. What do you think he did with it? I think with 275, 270 non-believers, he took bread. Not eaten for, what, 12 days, 14 days, whatever it was. What did he say? Our quote, what St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. 
So all these people who are facing this storm, everything's been thrown overboard. They've been told they're gonna, this, gonna crash. He offers hospitality. Now think about this. He, he has nothing except a loaf of bread and he's offering hospitality to people who are more powerful and free and whatever. And in that moment, he is offering the goodness of Christ. How about this one? He offers perspective. Cameron lost the use of his hand. I watched him and his family process. And I watched a family live with faith and hope in the light of loss. And I watched Cameron keep growing in his perspective. Now, if you watch him write, do you write about like this? No? Something like that? Some, he had to relearn to write and to use his hands. But I noticed in him a perspective that a young man doesn't typically have. And how is this possible? Because this young man named Cameron has a relationship with the risen Jesus. And because the relationship is rich and strong and full, he had perspective. And he just said, you learn to live with it. He has. And then you see St. Paul pray. He offers prayer. I'll tell you a funny story about prayer that's not funny. When I lived in Los Angeles, I was invited to a real big famous deal to give the invocation. This is back in the day when they had invocations to public events. This was a Big deal in downtown Los Angeles. And so I got invited, and of course, the, you know, it's just throwaway preacher time, you know. Oh, brother, everyone's drinking and cocktail hour and blah, blah, blah. It's a food, big fancy place. And the MC says, uh, Pastor Garver's going to pray a prayer now. And of course, no one says a thing. Everyone's just loud, and everyone's drinking and clacking glasses. And so I said, excuse me. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. And the whole place got quiet. I said, no. Now that I have your attention, I'm going to pray. And a whole bunch of movers and shakers in downtown Los Angeles got stopped in a prayer. Do you realize how often when you pray in public places, simple prayers, short prayers, little prayers, not big prayers, you bring Christ's presence. You offer his goodness. In the midst of storms, people are open to Jesus. Next week, coming Thursday, I think I'm right and I'm saying this, one year ago, a tornado hit over here at Vermeer. And we watched all that destruction, cars piled up, alarms going off, and many of you were there. All of that. That was a massive storm. As an outsider looking at Vermeer from the outside, I hear stories of how much... Um, how, how challenging it has been for all the employees of Vermeer to work through a loss of two plants, to work through that tragic moment, to have to be moved into confined spaces. But I have observed there has been this, this perspective, and I keep hearing in the midst of the great challenge, the storm is real, two plants destroyed, lots of stuff happened, but in the midst of it, members of our church who work there from the line, from the office, wherever, can tell me stories of how Christ is being present to people. And I will never forget as long as I live how many of the people who are in the tornado reported to me that when the tornado hit, they began to quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And they began to say the Lord's prayer. What was that? That was the presence of the risen Christ in the lives of people whose buildings are being destroyed. What if they're going to live or not? And then the in the midst of the storm, there was the presence of Christ. Now, the storm destroyed the buildings. Absolutely. Storms happen. Storms, we are not protected from all the storms. In this world, Jesus said, you will experience tribulation. We will. 
But Jesus said, I have overcome the storms. So the connection is being connected with Jesus. And then finally, he just served. Willingly, regularly, joyfully. People of God, can we be these kinds of people? This week, can we be these kinds of people? It starts with connecting with Jesus. So, you, you, you know this. If you go to any of my Bibles, any of my cars, any of my offices, you have this. And I have this with me at all times. Not through, I've already memorized all these. It's just to remind me. It's to remind me. It's to remind me that I need to stay connected with Jesus. Because when the storms hit, listen again, listen again. When the storms hit, whatever you have within you is what you draw upon. And you got nothing in there? Good luck. But if you have been abiding in Christ, growing in this relationship, when the storms hit, you can stand. Ephesians chapter 6. In the day of evil, stand. Our hope is based on nothing less than Jesus, his blood, and his righteousness. Oh, and he ain't dead. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you invite us to live with courage. You invite us to live with an expectation that you are greater than the storms we face, that your love is amazing and full, that there is hope regardless of the storm. We thank you that you've been present to the Blums and to the Jansons this week in that storm, the storm of death. But we thank you, Lord, that you've overcome death, that victory is theirs and ours. And so we give you thanks and praise that we belong to you, that you're going ahead of us, that you're the God who offers courage, strength, and faith. We love you, we honor you, and we bless you. And we say thank you through Christ. Amen.